Well, happy Sabbath on this cold but beautiful day. I love that the sun is shining, and even if it's going to be cold, you know, it's good to have the sun shining. So I bring you uh, greetings from the Pennsylvania Conference, and whenever I do, I like to just share a little bit of what's happening at the conference. One of the things that have been exciting for us this week is we just got our uh, membership report from 2021. So in 2020, despite COVID, we welcomed 371 new members to the church. And that was despite COVID, that was having to put off our evangelism, go virtual with evangelism. Some churches did do in-person evangelism in the fall of 2020. Um, and so we welcomed 371 new members across the conference. And we were excited about that. So this year, we really had a push for evangelism. Many churches did evangelism in both the spring and the fall. But in the fall, we had 89 different evangelistic meetings happening um, in October or around about October. And so we just got uh, the, the reports in, all the pastors had reported. And in 2021, we welcomed 523 new members in churches across Pennsylvania. And so our membership in Pennsylvania stands over 13,000 members, which was our goal from our last um, constituency session. Our next constituency session is 2023. And so we are uh, two years ahead of schedule of what our goal is. So God has done above and beyond what we've asked and what we've um, thought that he was able to do. He's just done an amazing job. And so we are excited about what God is doing. Our, uh, I've been filming our officers and some of our departmental directors. They're doing a revival series that'll be taking place the last week. Uh, I think it's January 28th through February, whatever that Monday through Friday is. I don't really actually remember the dates, but it's that last week of half January, half February. We're going to do a Unshakable Faith revival series every night. Some of your church, some of the churches are doing it here in person. I don't know if uh, Westchester is going to be doing it, but if not, then come to our conference Facebook page every night at 7 o'clock. Um, go to YouTube, and the sermons will be in there. They're real short sermons. There's they're about 15 to 20 minutes long each one, and um, each different person starts out with Gary Gibbs on Monday night, and it'll end with Eve Monnier on Friday evening. We are planning for camp meeting this year. It'll be a shortened camp meeting, uh, Tuesday, June the 14th through the 18th. It's called Unshakable. That's kind of our theme this year is Unshakable in a Shaky World. And David Ashrick is our main worship speaker, and so we are really excited about that. Um, planning for summer camp. And for a weekend, for families out at Laurel Lake Camp in August, so lots of great stuff coming up. So uh, watch your e-blast and your bulletin. I didn't see a bulletin, so just watch the announcement screen. Hope everything gets uh, announced. So we're excited about what God is doing. I want to talk to you about, my sermon title is called What's in a Name? And so I want to talk about names today and how important they are. And so my question is, how many of you know why your parents named you what they named you. Anybody have a story about your name? Richard and Mark, and she couldn't make up her mind, so I got stuck with Richard and Mark. 
and I took some of the names of the people on your leadership on your a team page and I looked up some of the meanings and Richard means brave ruler. So I have to admit that I, I know you as Dick and not brave ruler. Dick is actually my cousin. Parents are his mom, my dad were siblings. Your mom I think was the oldest girl and my dad was one of the youngest boys. He was a twin and now Dick is welcome Anybody else? Anybody else? Yes. When our first daughter uh, was born, she was born after a long wait, where doctors said that my wife cannot bear a child, will never be pregnant, but because this was a miracle baby. We chose to name her uh, in such a way that she will live as a, as a living praise to God. So we named her Suti. In our Indian language, that word means praise. Well, that was the connection. popular movie and song back in the day with Debbie Reynolds called Tammy and the Bachelor and there was a song called Tammy's in Love and so she just loved that so she decided to name me Tammy but she thought that I would want a more mature name when I got to be a little older like maybe 40 she thought that I wouldn't want to be called Tammy anymore and so she gave me the name Tamra I'm not sure where she found that but I can tell you to this day my mom hates that name and uh, if you call me Tamara in front of her, she will actually correct you and say, no, 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 her name is Tammy, her name is Tammy. So I looked up a couple of names that were on your leadership page. And uh, so Richard means brave ruler. David means beloved. Jean, I don't see Jean today, but Jean uh, means God is gracious. And uh, Lewis means famous warrior. And I looked up the name Sarah means princess and there was a name on your website I'm hoping I'm saying it right Elvia is that correct and so I looked that one up and and um, I was on babynames.org I was looking at my notes and they didn't have it but they had two names that were close to it one meant noble friend and one meant my father is God and the names were very very close to that so I thought that was really cool so how many of you like your name like the name that your parents gave you? How many of you could, you would change the name? Nobody, well that's good. The Bible tells us um, in First Chronicles 4, 9 to 10, about a man who did not like his name. And so if you turn into the First Chronicles chapter four, you'll see that First Chronicles chapter four is a list of genealogies. And so it's one of those books of the Bible that we get to this chapter and we, we just stumble through it because it's name after name, and most of them we cannot pronounce. But when you get to verse 9, 
So the scripture takes what I call a commercial break, and it gives you a little tidbit of a story about a man named Jabez who's not even listed in the genealogies. So we don't know, it's not listed who his father was, who his brothers were, anywhere in the, geology, in the, in the list of genealogies. It just gives you this little break, and it says, Now Jabez was more honorable than his brothers, and his mother called his name Jabez, saying, Because I bore him in pain. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me and that you would keep me from evil, that I may not cause pain. And so God granted him what he requested. So Jabez's name meant he will cause pain. Can you imagine having to introduce yourself that way to people? Hi, my name is he will cause pain. Hi, my name is he will cause pain. Don't you think that it would make people... A little leery. Why is this guy named this way? In Bible times, names were very important. And so they showed some kind of your character or whatever. And so he did not want to live up to his name. And so he prayed and asked God, Lord, please keep me from evil. Help me to not cause pain. Let your hand be with me. And now Bruce Wilkerson uh, made this verse, these verses really famous by writing a book called The Prayer of Jabez. And in it, people focused on the beginning of it, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory. But for me, I often pray this prayer when I'm praying, but I focus more on that your hand would be with me because I want God to be with me in everything that I do, and that you would keep me from evil that I may not cause pain. I don't want to cause other people pain any more than Jabez did. And the cool thing about this verse is it says God granted him what he requested. And it started out by saying that he was more honorable than all of his brothers. And so he didn't want to live up to his name, and God granted him that request. In the Bible, we see that God often changed people's names. Give the instance of Abram, who became Abraham. You had Sarai, who became Sarah. You had Jacob, that became Israel. You had Saul, that became Paul. You became Simon Peter, that became the rock. And you have David, who went from shepherd to king. You have the Samaritan woman whose name we don't know, but she went from being an outcast to an evangelist. We have the lame man whose name we don't know, but went from lame man to dancer and leaper. And so God was in, in the habit of changing people's names, not just their given names, but the names that we might call them. Uh, we might call them the blind man, but God saw a man with sight. We call him. We call them the leper, and we still call them the leper, even though God healed them from leprosy. You know, so we see people and we call them by things that they do or who they were or things that had happened to them, and God sees them in a different light and calls them by a new name. And one of the cool things is, is that God called them by their new name often before they lived up to them. You think of Abram. When God changed his name to Abraham, which means father of many nations, how many children did Abram have? None. And yet God started calling him the father of many nations. When David was a shepherd boy, God called him king. I had Samuel go, the prophet, and anoint him as king. It would be more than 20-some years before David would actually And when David served as king, he became known as an adulterer and a murderer. 
And yet God changed that and called him a man after God's own heart. Seeing David for far more than what he did. And we see that over and over again. Calling Peter a rock when Peter was anything but stable and faithful. Denying Jesus, you know, getting out there on the water and walking and then taking his eyes off Jesus and slipping under. He was a man who wasn't very firm and stable or steady in what he believed. And yet Jesus knew Peter could be with him. And those are the names that God calls us. The names of who he sees us to be. Who he knows we can be if we live up to him. If we live with him and do what he's called us to do. And the Bible is full of names that God calls us. And so I wrote down a few of them. It's actually quite the list of things that scripture says that God calls us. So... As you listen, just know these are things that God calls you, kind of like nicknames that God calls you. Chosen, beloved, blessed, adopted, righteous, forgiven, daughter, son, friend, brother, sister, wanted, delighted in, sung over, fearfully and wonderfully made, royal priesthood, accepted, planned, victorious, more than a conqueror, called for a purpose, set apart, God's handiwork. God calls you all of those names. There are those names that we call ourselves. When we look in the mirror, we instantly see someone who's beloved, chosen, delighted in. This morning as you got ready for church, think about that there is a God in heaven who takes such delight in you that he breaks out into song singing them out. God who forgives every one of our sins and who never gives up on us. See the challenges that while God calls us all these amazing things and says this is who we are, we have an enemy. And we have an enemy that does not want us to believe or live like this is the truth of are. He instead wants us to live with names that he calls us. Names like failure, hopeless, never get it right, not enough, awkward, clumsy, one who causes pain. You know? How many of us have heard words like that spoken over us? It's because the enemy doesn't want us to think about or believe or live the, what God has called us. Israel's enemies knew that names were important. And so when they would take Israel captive, we see over and over that they would change their name. They would change their name from the Hebrew name that was usually connected with God in some way, help them to know who they were in Christ and God, and change it to a Babylonian name that would remove God from them. And we see this in, in Daniel chapter 1. In Daniel chapter 1, verses 6 to 7, we read the story, and you can read right past it. You've read the story before of Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now, we often call Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But those were their Babylonian names. When they were taken captive by Babylonia, they were given new names to wipe out their identity in Christ. So they wouldn't remember who they were or who he was but instead they would identify themselves with the Babylonian gods. 
And so Daniel, the name Daniel means God is my judge. The Babylonians called him Belshazzar, which means Bel, protect his life. And so they changed his name from God being the judge to Bel, a Babylonian god, being his protector, wanting to change the identity of who Daniel was and the god that he aligned with. Hananiah means the Lord shows grace. His Babylonian name, Shadrach, means command of Achaia. Achaia is another of their gods. They didn't want him to think about God and grace. They wanted them to think about obeying the Babylonian gods. Mishael means who is what God is. It was a rhetorical question because there's no one like God. And they changed his name from Mishael to Meshach, which means who is what Achaia is. So instead of who is what God is, who is what this Babylonian God is, as if this Babylonian God is greater than anybody else. Azariah means the Lord helps. He was renamed Abednego, which means servant of Nebu or Nebo, another one of their gods. Again, wanting him to forget the God who was his helper, the God that he needed to serve in Babylonia. And our enemy still does that today. He doesn't actually change our names like Nebuchadnezzar did. But he changes how we see ourselves and what we call ourselves. I made a list of some of those words, too. Failure, not enough, abandoned, overlooked, rejected, unseen, unworthy, loser, just a fill in the blank, inadequate, forgotten, too much, addicted, guilty, mistake, disappointment, disappointment, broken, hopeless. The enemy will use anything that he can to take us captive and give us a new name. He'll take our past places that we have failed and not lived up to what God called us to. He'll take our circumstances, the things that we're currently doing, the ways that we fail. It can be something as simple as, and I don't know if you men would relate, but I know that as a woman, you know, I can be doing whatever and, and just drop something or a trip or whatever, and instantly in my head I'll hear a word like clumsy or awkward or whatever. The enemy will take small places and big places to change the names that we call ourselves, names that God would not call us. He will take our failures and our wins. It's not just that he's trying to beat us up, but he wants us to be full of pride and think that we are more than we really are by thinking that our successes or our wins identify us when they don't. That's not who we are. Sometimes it's other people. Other people speak words over us. Be a parent. It could be a peer, it could have been in school, it could be a spouse, it could be your boss, it could be, you know, a coworker, or just, you know, out and somebody yells at you. We live in a world that's so hostile right now. And sometimes it's us. We call ourselves because of our expectations or our disappointments with ourselves. In fact, if you're like me, you are probably harder on yourself than anybody else ever has been. Or anybody else ever is. I read a book recently by Esther Fleece Allen. It's called Your New Name. Talking about the new name that God wants to give us. And she said this. We are not our sin, just as we are not our good deeds. We are so much more than our addictions, our mistakes, our accidents. We are not defined by our struggles, our appearance, our failures, 
for our secrets? Are we willing to listen to how God sees us? God doesn't call us by our sins or uh, we're told in this prayer of ages that when God looks at us, he sees us through the righteousness, through the blood of Jesus Christ, as if we have never sinned. When God looks at each one of us, he sees us as the person that he created us to be, the person that he knows that we will be one day. Quite a few years ago, the conference had a training event with John Kent. John is currently one of our pastors. He's serving in the Carnegie area, and he is a man of God. He is a man of prayer and conviction. And at the time, he was working for Adventist Frontier Missions. He was training missionaries to go overseas and serve in the mission field. And John, had, John disciples people in their journey with Christ and how to grow deeper and how to depend on God. And so we had invited him. This is, again, this is before he was ever a pastor here. He's still working for AFM. We invited him to come, and we were going to have an event where he was going to teach people to grow deeper in Jesus. And we had the event twice. We had it at Laurel Lake Camp out in the western part of our state, and we had it at Blue Mountain Academy over here on the eastern part of our state to make it easy for people to drive to. At the time, I served in the mission department, and so I was on the team that was planning this event. And so I went to both events. I went out to Laurel Lake, and I helped behind the scenes, but I also got the opportunity to sit in on John's session. And I'll never forget one of the sessions. I was sitting there, and John encouraged us to get out, away from everything, spend some time with just God, and just pray. Picture ourselves being with God and asking God, what do you think of me? And letting God answer us through his word, through, through song, through nature, just letting God you know, reveal himself to us. And I remember sitting there. I stayed in Baker Lodge. How many of you have been to Laurel Lake? It's a beautiful camp. And so I was sitting there in Baker Lodge. You know where Baker Lodge is and the fireplace and everything. And I was just sitting there and I was just praying and I was just picturing myself being with Jesus. And it was like suddenly I could picture myself sitting with Jesus under a tree. I have a very vivid imagination. And I could just imagine me sitting with Jesus. And I said, Lord, you know, what do you think of me? And suddenly, I can't really explain it really well. It sounds really crazy when I say it out loud. But I just pictured Jesus suddenly breaking out in laughter over me, just with joy, not laughing at me, but taking great joy in me. And I felt like God said, Tammy, I love you. I delight in your laughter. It just blew my mind. <laughs> I always felt like that kid that nobody delighted in, that nobody saw, nobody really loved or noticed. And to think of God of the universe delighting in me. I mean, I just wanted to cry right there in Baker Lodge, you know, that God would delight in me. Well, we went home and got back to life, and the enemy, who always wants to take away everything that God does in our lives, got me to thinking that that wasn't really God, that was just my imagination. God would really never speak those things over me. I'm too much of a a mess and klutzy and I don't get things right and God's not going to say he delights in me. That was just my imagination, not really God. And it was time for the event at Blue Mountain Academy. And at Blue Mountain Academy, it was closed that weekend and so we were having our event in their cafeteria, but the cafeteria staff wasn't there since the school was closed. And so I was doing the cooking. I love to cook for people and I got to use this big kitchen there at VMA. I can't tell you what I cooked. I know that my husband and my little boys came and helped me. 
And I was in the kitchen all weekend. So by the end of the weekend, after cooking for people all weekend, I was tired. And I had made sack lunches for people to take home with them as they left. And I got into the room just to say that John was giving them the final assignment of the weekend. Now, one of my girlfriends had come. And she came because she wanted that experience with Jesus that I had had. She wanted God to speak into her life and give her courage and hope. And she believed that it had been God speaking in my heart. And John told us to get into groups of three and to pray for one another. But before we could pray out loud, he asked us to sit there in silence and pray, God, give me a word of courage for these people that I'm sitting with. And not to speak until we felt like God had given us a word for the other people. And so I got into this, tri uh, this uh, trio of people. It was myself, and it was my good friend, and it was another person. And I knew her. And she knew me probably about as well as you all know me. You know, I'm Tammy Horst. I work for the conference. You're going to see my name around on books and writing and videos and stuff. Don't really know me. You know, you don't really know who I am or what I struggle with or what, I, what my day looks like or any of those kind of things. And so it was her and my friend. And so I'm sitting there, and I have my Bible out. And before I used an iPad, so I had my Bible, and I'm just are praying, Lord, give me a word of encouragement for one of these ladies. And I'm, I'm just kind of paging through my Bible, looking at Scripture. There's so much of Scripture that's highlighted in notes. I have a wide margin Bible, so lots of notes. And I'm just praying, Lord, give me a word for these ladies. When suddenly, a lady that knows me but really doesn't know me, has no clue of what happens in my life, said, Tammy, I believe that God wants me to speak a word of encouragement over you. She said, but I don't know how to put this into words. I don't know. I don't know how to say this because it's just kind of, it's weird, Tammy. And I, I know I'm going to get it wrong, but, and we all have our eyes closed. We're bowing because we're praying, you know, so you're praying. So I'm not looking at her. I'm just listening to her. And she says, Tammy, I don't know. I, it's just weird. I just, I feel like God is laughing, not at you, but over you. And that he wants you to know that he loves you and that he delights in you. My mind was so blown. There is no way she had known what I had experienced at Laurel Lake Camp. I hadn't shared a testimony. I hadn't told anybody about it except my girlfriend that was sitting there. Because remember, I'm not believing it anymore myself. I'm believing that there's no way God would speak those words. And yet, she paints the very same picture and says the very same words. I told John about it. John's a good friend. So I told him about it. He went to school with my husband at Blue Mountain Academy and we had spent time with him and his wife. So afterwards, as we were packing up, I told him what had happened at Laurel Lake and at BMA. And he said, Tammy, God wants you to learn to live believing that he delights in you. He wants you to believe that beyond a shadow of a doubt. And so how do we learn to believe the names that God calls us instead of the names that the enemy calls us? How do we learn to believe that we are chosen we are a royal priesthood, that we are called and wanted, that we were created for a purpose, that God has given us gifts and abilities that will change the world one person at a time if we're willing to let him. I just had someone this week that said to me, I know that I am not doing what God wants me to do because I beat myself up and I call myself these names and I don't believe God says I am. And I know as a result, I am not living and being the person God wants me to be. 
So how do we do that? How do we stop listening to the enemy and start listening to God? Four things that I have learned. Number one, learn and memorize scripture that tells you who you are in Jesus Christ. Memorize it. Uh, write it and post it. Put it up. Change your passwords for your devices to be scriptures. Uh, often my husband will say, hey, can you put your password in here? Because I need to do something. So I'll put my password in. And my passwords are really long <laughs> because they're scripture. And he'll say, why do you have such long passwords? Well, I want to tell you that that's probably better security uh, for one thing. But for another, every time I have to type one of my passwords, and I have several different ones, they remind me of something about God and what he says about me or what he's promised to do in my life. One of my very favorite promises that I've memorized is Ephesians 1.4. In the message, it goes something like this. Long before he laid down earth's foundations, he chose us. He focused on us to be, he settled on us to be the focus of his love, to be made whole and holy by his love. I love that promise in the message. I think that God focuses on me because he loves me. And he wants to make me whole and holy because of his love. Powerful stuff. So number one, learn and memorize what God says about you, what he calls you, the name. Memorize those scriptures. But one of my friends, Jenny Ellen, she likes to take a purple marker and highlight them in her Bible so that she can just page through her Bible when she's discouraged and see those verses just pop out because they're purple. What God says about her, what he, how he says that he loves her. Remind yourselves of them. You know, one of the things as I get older is, you know, you look in the mirror and you don't look, you don't look 30 anymore because you're not in your 20s. And it's easy for the enemy, especially for us women, to, to cause us to beat ourselves up in how we look. You know, your hair is too hair is too straight, you know, you're getting wrinkles or heavier than you want to be or whatever. And so I've memorized Psalms 139 that says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You know, that God knit me together in my mother's wombs long before I was born. He wrote down all of my story in his book. And it just kind of a joke when I look in the mirror and start beating myself and I go, wait, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. No, and this, the, the psalmist said, and this I well know. So memorize scripture. Put it on that bathroom mirror. Put it on your computer screen. Use it as your word saver. Use it as your password. I'm telling you, it really, truly helps a lot to use it as your password. Number two, when you see yourself calling yourself a name, and you hear a name, you're a klutz, you're a failure, you're forgiven, you'll never, you're hopeless, you're never going to amount to anything. When you hear that going through your head, ask yourself, who is speaking? Is this something that God says about me? Because if it is not, and you're listening to yourself, then who do you want to believe? Do you want to believe an enemy who hates you and wants to destroy you? Or do you want to believe a God who created you, who loves you more than anybody ever has and anybody ever will, who promises that he has a plan for your life and that it's a good plan? I don't know about you, but I don't trust this guy over here. <laughs> He's out to steal, kill, destroy, and devour, the Bible says. Those are the words that the Bible uses. 
steal, kill, destroy, and devour. And yet God, God wants to make us whole and holy. And so ask yourself, am I living? The more you ask yourself, the quicker you will be at going, hey, wait, that's not God speaking to me. God, God would never say that about me. What would God say? Number three, remind yourself of what God calls you. Start fighting back with the enemy. We're told to take every thought captive, and that includes the thoughts we think about ourselves. I wrote this sermon a couple of weeks ago. I was preaching it at my home church the first Sabbath of January. And I have to say that even as I was writing this sermon about names and what God's calling, I could feel the enemy getting in there and starting to try to discourage me, saying, who are you that you think that you can get up there and preach a meaningful sermon? You're not a pastor. You're not a pastor. Pastor Scott does so much better of a job than you. Who are you? And I had to go, wait, that is the enemy. God has called. God has asked. My job is just to be faithful to share what's meaningful to me right now. And so remind yourself of what God calls you. Number four, ask God to change your name and or how you're seeing yourself like you're living up to names that you don't like. You consistently call yourself names or other people have spoken names over you that you can't seem to get freedom from. Pray and ask God, Lord, bless me indeed. Enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me. Keep me from evil. Change my name. And how I I want to tell you that you can get really good at it. You can start noticing the lies of the enemy and start telling yourselves the truth of God. When life gets hard, sometimes we revert back to old identities. To me, one of the most powerful stories in the Bible is Peter's story. At the end of Peter's story in John chapter 21, Peter has denied knowing Every morning when the sun starts coming up and the roosters across Galilee start growing, Peter is reminded of that moment. The rooster crowed, and he turned and looked at Jesus, having just denied him for the third time. Every day, every day, the enemy is reminding Peter of what a failure he is, how he let Jesus down, how he denied him every single day. You may not have a rooster that crows. <laughs> My husband and I just moved this year to be closer to Hamburg, where the new conference office will be once it's finished. My son and his daughter actually raised some, got some little chicks, raised some chickens for us, and we now have chickens. So now I now actually have a rooster. And I can tell you, he crows every morning. There's just one of him, but he crows and crows and crows. And uh, that's what Peter would have experienced every single day. You may not have a rooster crowing, but the enemy is going to remind you every day of your failures and your mistakes. And so Peter got so discouraged, he didn't know what to do. He didn't feel like that he was good enough to be a disciple of Jesus anymore. And so he decided to go back to fishing in John chapter 21. So I'm going fishing, and all the other disciples say, we're going with you. And so they go out, and they fish all night, and they catch nothing. How do you feel after a night of catching nothing? 
He was already feeling like a failure because he had failed Jesus, and now he went back to the one thing he knew that he could do, and he couldn't even do that. He's failed as a disciple. He's failed as a fisherman. Dawn is starting to break, and as it is, the roosters are crowing all around the villages and all around the lake. And as that water carries that rooster crowing, it sounds like a symphony of roosters. His heart is breaking because he's calling himself a failure, a loser, never get it right, can't do anything. But I love what the Bible says. After they've been fishing all night and they didn't catch anything, verse 4, it says, But when the morning had now come, put on the shore. Just when the roosters were crowing. As you read the story, you find that, that Jesus has been there for a while because it says on verse uh, 9 that he was there by a fire of coals. And if you know anything about a fire, you have to let the wood burn for a little bit for it to get down to coals. And so Jesus has been there for a while. He's gone shopping. He's gotten bread and he's gotten fish and he's gotten wood and he's built a fire. And the risen Savior has chosen to not go back to heaven yet. Spirit of Prophecy tells us that he didn't want to go back until he assured his disciples that he loved them. That he loved them. That was more important than going to heaven and loving them. So here he is cooking them breakfast. And then after breakfast, he takes Peter for a walk. Why do I think this is a powerful story? Because of its redemption. Jesus redeems the early morning and the rooster crowing. He redeems the fire. When you read through the Gospels that you see the fire is going to be And now, when the enemy says to Peter, when Peter sees the fire, this is when you deny Jesus and say, this is the Lord. So Jesus redeems three times that he sees the fire. He redeems the three times that he denies Jesus. He asks him, Times that he redeemed. Night of, he redeemed the night of not being, of not of failing at fishing. You see, this is exactly the same call as when he called Peter early in the morning. Night of not fish, of fishing and not catching anything. Jesus telling him to put the boat out, catching more fish than he could catch. He repeats the original call. It's as if Jesus is saying to Peter, "I called you then. I call you now." I know everything that happened in the middle, and I still call you. And that is Peter. Yes, in Revelation 2.17, it says, The one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who is victorious. White stone. I did a little research. The ancient Romans had a custom that when you did an athletic, when you were at an athletic win, an event, and you won, and they were very much into athletics, competition. When you won, you would be given a white stone, and uh, your name would be inscribed on the white stone, and that white stone was a ticket of victory or defeat. How you got into the banquet. He's going to give us 
with our name inscribed in it, a name that only we can know. And I wonder, if on that day when we get to heaven, the banqueting table, Jesus meets us at the door, and he bends close and gives us a white stone and writes on it. No one else knows, only us. If when he whispers it into our hearts, that name, something inside us will know that this is who we always were. This is who Jesus saw us as all along. What Jesus has always called us, always meant us to be, and now we will live eternity being this people. Jesus created us for this. There is a Christian classic called Pine Street in High Places. It's an allegory, so it's a, a story that means something. The main character in the book is called Much Afraid, and of everything. She comes from the family of the fearlings. She has a crooked mouth and no tongue. She's a little lame. She doesn't walk real well. Talk real well. Her words come out crazy. And one day the, the shepherd comes and he invites her to go to the high places with him. He gives her two companions, suffering and sorrow, help to take her to the high places. And when she gets to the high place, the shepherd gives her a new name. And that new name is no longer much afraid. It is called, her new name is Beauty and Grace. And she realizes that he has never seen her as much as That he has always seen her. Here's this quote from the, work, from, from the book. The third thing, she's recounting to the shepherd the things that she learned on her journey. The third thing that I learned was that you, my Lord, never regarded me as I actually was, lame and weak and crooked and cowardly. You saw me as I would be when you had done what you promised and had brought me to the high places, when it could be truly said, there is none that walks with such a queenly ease, nor with such grace, grace as she. You always treated me with the same love and graciousness as though I were a queen already, and not wretched little much afraid. Then she looked up into his face, and for a little time could say no more. But at last she added, My Lord, I cannot tell you how greatly I want to regard others in the same way. You see, it's not just important for us to call ourselves by the name that God calls us, but for us to live it and believe it. It's how it impacts others. When we change from thinking that we are wretched, miserable, failures, not enough, can't get it right, hopeless. And we start believing who God says we are, chosen, a royal priesthood, accepted, forgiven, belonging, sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, friends, called with a purpose, more than a conqueror, want to tell other people. We will want other people to know We will put God's name on display 
just like Daniel, instead of Belshazzar. How we live our life, how we talk about ourselves and treat ourselves, how we talk about and treat others, will reveal to others God, his name, and there's power in his name. Proverbs 18.10 tells us that God's name is a strong tower for us to run to. I don't know about you, but I want to live as more than a conqueror here on this planet. I want to live victoriously. I want to live believing that I am who God says that I am, and that I can accomplish what God put me here on this planet to accomplish. I want nothing more than to make a difference for Jesus while I'm living here, and help others to live with that confidence and that boldness. And I believe that one day very soon, the earth is going to shake. Trumpet is going to sound. We will start raising up off the ground. Suddenly, our eyes will be open to the angels all around us. Some of us, our guardian angel is going to go, oh, wasn't sure we were going to make it. For others of us, angels are going to be returning babies and children we're going to see those people that we've lost, that we miss desperately. This last year has been a year of such incredible grief. We'll be reunited. But the most amazing part of that moment is going to be to see Jesus. And I don't know how he's going to do it, but I believe with all my heart that when we look up and we see him, it'll be as if he's looking at every one of us individually. And he'll be saying, welcome home. Welcome home, my beloved. And as we fly through the universe and pass the Milky Way and get to heaven to see and Jesus greets every one of us, gives us a white stone, promised name. We will live eternity knowing who we are in him. Let's practice that now Then believe Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you for your promise. I want to thank you that you do not see us the way we see ourselves. I pray that you would give us courage. Forgive us for letting the enemy reign over us, for believing the lies of the enemy. I pray that we would claim your truth, that as we fail, that we will ask for your forgiveness and believe that we are forgiven. That as we mess things up, that we will come to you and ask you to redeem us. Know that we are redeemed. I pray that you would help us to remember every day of how much you love us. How much you do us and long to use us to impact others. God, I pray that you would help us to call us ourselves by the names that you call us. And then teach others to call them to you. God, I pray that you would use us to make a difference. And Lord, please. We miss you and we long for you. Till then.